thanks for being here today. My name is Paul. I'm the lead pastor at Genesis, and uh, summer is underway. I know we've got uh, graduation uh, coming up for Noblesville this week, and probably uh, some of you maybe already graduated over the last couple of weeks from uh, some of the other local schools. It, it's Move Up Sunday here at Genesis, which means we've got a bunch of kids that are moving into different classrooms. Last weekend uh, at our all-church outdoor service, we recognized all those kids that are moving into different rooms. Uh, we thought it would be appropriate today, and I know some of you are going to hate me for this because you're not going to want this attention, but if you're graduating from high school, all right, or have already graduated from high school, I want you to stand, all right, and don't sit down. I see a couple young men over here, all right, I know there's some others in the room, Aubrey up front here, all right, good, keep standing. Uh, if you're, if you graduated from college, maybe in the last few weeks or months, no, no, keep standing. If you're in high school, stand for a second. Uh, if you grad, anybody graduate from college, uh, that's in the room, that's willing to somebody, uh, you see some motioning or whatever, but, uh, well, we know we got a bunch, we got a bunch of high school students that are graduating, a bunch of college students that are graduating, um, we just want to thank you, and uh, you're a big part of this church family. We're excited for you, and uh, just praying for those next steps, whatever they may be, school, job. Uh, there's a verse uh, that I've been looking at this week, Psalm 27.1, that says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I just think about your next steps in life. And remembering that Jesus is our light. He kind of paves that way for us as we trust him. He shows us where to go. He's our salvation. He's the most important thing that we have. The most important part of your life. And he's also our stronghold. Uh, this idea of a fortress and a protector and a provider. So can I pray for you? I, I just love to pray for you and for all of our graduates today. If you'll just join me, uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thanks for our graduates. And uh, thanks for what you're doing in their lives, Lord. And as they're looking ahead to next steps and uh, where to go from here, we do pray. And we thank you, Lord, that in you, Jesus, we have a light. Uh, in you, Jesus, we have our salvation, the most important thing that we need. And, and Father, at the same time, Lord, that you are a stronghold for us. And um, I pray for these young men and young women in our church family, uh, that you continue to lead and guide and provide for them, Lord, that they will live for you. Whatever it is that you're calling them to do, I pray that they will do it for you wherever you call them, Lord, and uh, that the name of Jesus would be praised in and through their lives. Uh, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's thank him one more time. Appreciate him. Thanks. My wife Jenny and I celebrate 24 years of marriage this year, and it's really it's really pretty hard to believe. You don't have to clap for that. I wasn't looking for applause, but all right, you can clap, whatever. So we clap a lot here at Genesis, but uh, kind of hard to believe. We, we met at Anderson University when I was a senior. Uh, Jenny was a junior. We dated for a year. We were engaged for a year. In fact, just a couple fun pictures. We got engaged under the arch. Look at those two right there. Clueless, by the way. Like, they have no idea what's in front of them, what they're getting themselves into, but... Uh, uh, that was a day back in the fall, I think it was 1997, right? I think that's how it works out. But we got married uh, August 1st, 1998 uh, in Auburn, Indiana. There was a reception at the uh, Auburn Cord Duesenberg Museum in Auburn, Indiana. Again, clueless, no idea what's on the other side of those doors, right? What's ahead for them in this thing called marriage. We lived in Anderson, Indiana, St. Joseph, Michigan, Louisville, Kentucky, uh, we, we've lived here in Noblesville for 14 years now. Oh, yeah, God's blessed us with three amazing kids along the way. But 24 years, like how 
does that happen? I can promise you it's not because we're so good, right? That we've got life figured out, that she's the perfect wife, I'm the perfect husband, because it ain't that, all right? We're not perfect, and we didn't get to this point because we're lucky or because we just happened to stumble on to our soulmate. Uh, but I got to thinking this past week, like, what is it about marriage? Like, there are any number of things, right? If you're married, if you've been married, you know there are any number of things that go into marriage, uh, what makes marriage work? Uh, what makes a marriage healthy? What's the most important ingredient when it comes to things like love and satisfaction and happiness in marriage? And I, and I know this, and, and some of you have learned this too, but the key, the key to love and satisfaction in life is not marriage. It's not marriage. Like marriage isn't the answer. It's not stumbling on the right marriage. Or, or finding the, the perfect person to marry. Now, can a marriage built on the right things help us experience love in ways which we were uh, created to experience it? Yes, that's true. Like, can, can a marriage built on the right things contribute to the satisfaction that we enjoy or hope to enjoy in this world? Absolutely, for sure. But I want to be clear in saying that, that, that I want to be clear in saying that it's in marriage. It's not because of marriage, or it's not uh, in finding the right person. These aren't your answer or my gr my greatest answer to the greatest needs that we have in this world. It's something else. There is something better. There is something greater. And the interesting thing about this answer is that it's same for you whether you're single or whether you're married. See, our our desire. Our need for love and satisfaction is not found in a certain relationship. It's not found in a perfect romantic relationship or another person. Like um, getting married is no guarantee that you or I are going to live a satisfying life. No, the answer is this. The answer to our needs, our greatest needs for love and satisfaction are ultimately found in our Savior Jesus Christ. Like he is the only one that can truly satisfy us in this world. And that's true uh, for you if you're married. That's true of you if you're single, whether you're single by choice or you're waiting and hoping to be married one day. Today, I want to talk to you about love and marriage and singleness. And as Justin said, we're in this series this summer called Summer of Love, where we're just going to talk about love and all sorts of forms, shapes, and sizes, different passages of Scripture that talk about love, the way we love people, the way that we love God, what God does in us and, and through us. But I want to talk to you about marriage and singleness and love. And talking about marriage means that we could discuss any number of things today. We could talk about his needs or her needs. We could talk about things like dating or intimacy or conflict resolution. We could talk about love languages. Like all of these are important when it comes to love. But what I believe that God has prepared for me to share with you today is the most important. The, the most important ingredient when it comes to our marriages, when it comes to our relationships, let's just say it's the one thing that matters most, whether you're married or single. And so turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 29. We've got an easy one today. It's the first book of the Bible, all right? Genesis chapter 29. We're going to spend a few minutes looking at a story there today, uh, a story that I'm just going to tell you up front is so much more than a story about marriage and singleness and love, but we're going to find some lessons in it. And I'm going to warn you up front that it's a really, really messy story. 
all right? It's a complicated story, but on the one hand, I find that encouraging because I'm messy, all right? I, I don't always make sense, and I'm sure that some of you can relate to the messiness as well. But we're going to look at a story about a guy by the name of Jacob, and really what happens when you go looking for love and satisfaction in the wrong things. Now, again, Jacob's story is a long story. It's a complicated one. We're only going to look at a short portion of it. And if you know some of Jacob's story, you know Jacob and his brother Esau were at odds with one another. Esau threatened to kill Jacob, which you say, hey, big deal. You know, I threaten my brother or sister that all the time. But this guy was serious about it. He was serious about killing his brother. And so Jacob takes off and he runs away uh, to a far off place. He goes looking for safety in his uncle Laban's house. Now, in Genesis chapter 29, we read that Jacob stops at this well in the middle of the wilderness. There were some men there. Jacob asked them if they knew his uncle Laban, to which they replied, yeah, we know Laban, we know Laban and his daughter Rachel, they come to this well all the time, in fact, they should be here soon, and so Jacob waits, and before you know it, Laban's daughter Rachel approaches the well, and as soon as Jacob sees her, the scriptures basically say that his reply was, yowza, like, I mean, you know, the Q Prince's song, right, the most beautiful girl in the world, we've all had moments in our lives like that, right? I mean, maybe it was the first time that you laid eyes on your husband or the first time you laid eyes on your girlfriend. Uh, if you're single, you've probably had some occasions where you've watched a particular man or a particular woman walk into the room and maybe you check out their hand to see if there's a ring on their finger. Jacob sees Rachel. The point is that he was stunned by her beauty. And if you haven't connected the dots yet, this is... Uncle Laban's daughter, which means this is also cousin Rachel, like Jacob, whoa, what, like what are, what are you, like it seems a little weird to us, but 3,500 years ago, it wasn't the same, and it is the deep south of the Mideast, so let's just say things operate a little differently, right, in the south, no matter what part of the world you're in. The scriptures say that Jacob saw her and he loved her at first sight. And I just wonder, I wonder if there was any part of him that was thinking at all, this is the one. This is the one that I need. If I marry this woman, I'll be happy no matter what it costs me. If we're not careful, right? Isn't this true? If we're not careful, like when it comes to life, when it comes to relationships that we pursue, relationships that we're in, like we can be tempted. You and I can be misled in the very same way. Think about it. Like maybe you were the guy or the girl in high school that always had to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And if you didn't, you didn't feel complete or something. What about the husband, the one with the wife and the kids? And for a while they were enough, right? It was enough. But then one day his wife stopped meeting his needs. And so he fell into the arms of someone else. How about the wife? She's got needs too. And if she's not careful, it might not be long before she goes looking to meet those needs somewhere else. Don't get me wrong. Like, there's nothing wrong with a little love at first sight. But let's be real. This is attraction at first sight. But Jacob's got a problem developing. Let's pick it up in verse 16. We read, now Laban, Uncle Laban had two daughters. All right, that's an important detail that we'll get to in a moment. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah, look what the writer says, has weak eyes but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Weak eyes. I can promise you that he's not talking about her eyesight, all right, or her eye color even. This is his really polite way of saying she's got a nice personality, all right? That's what she's known for. Rachel, on the other hand, what does the writer say? She's lovely in figure. She is beautiful. Now let's stop there for a second. 
Again, there's nothing wrong with physical attraction. I was attracted to Jenny when we met. Of course, she was attracted to me. I, have you seen my wedding day picture? Check out this wedding day picture. Look at that guy right there. A hunk of love, you know? I, I, what, was the like, what was the photographer thinking? Hey, go stand over there by that tree and put out the vibe. Like that, that, those were his instructions, I bet. And that's what I'm doing, all right? Now get that picture off the screen. Let's move on. But seriously, like physical attraction or a desire for intimacy is a good thing. Like God did that. He created us that way. He, he put that in us. I, I love the way that God made men and women different. I'm, I'm thankful for things like hormones. But here's, here's the challenge that we're up against in our culture today. Like we put so much value on physical beauty and appearance above all else. It's one of the reasons why pornography is so dangerous and so devastating like not only does it victimize the individual who's portrayed in it but it also creates this unrealistic expectation about love and satisfaction whether you're single or married jacob notices rachel there's attraction and again there's nothing wrong with that but controlling his desires is certainly not his only problem because if you know any of his story at all again jacob's in a tough spot he's running from his brother we know he's running away from home, but that's not it. He's also got some wounds. He's got some wounds from his past, and now he's in this desperate place, and he sees, he meets Rachel, and you know he's thinking, she's the answer. She's the answer. Marriage is my answer. Marrying Ma Rachel will satisfy me. And if I can just stop there for a second and say something to those of you that are single or maybe you're divorced, and I realize that this is coming from a guy who got married right out of college. And so my view is very limited when it comes to living single in this world. But we tend to place such a high value on marriage today like it's the goal or it's the prize. And if you don't achieve it, there must be something wrong with you. And it happens everywhere, like even in the church. We cater a lot of the things that we do to those who are married, and it sometimes comes across like we might undervalue those who aren't. I just want you to know that if I or Genesis have ever made you feel that way, I apologize for that. And, and married or single, uh, young or old, male or female, like you matter to God. I want you to know no matter who you are, you are a very important part of this church and it wouldn't be the same without you. And married or single, like everyone has a part to play. Like you make this church family a very special place. But I will say this again. Marriage isn't the goal. It shouldn't be the goal. Like marriage isn't the greatest answer to your needs or my needs or our satisfaction or happiness. No, Jesus is. Jesus is the answer. Like he, he is the greatest source of satisfaction that you and I will discover in this world. And a relationship with him and living for him is the most important thing that you can do. The most important relationship that you will ever need, whether you're married or single. And I want to just add to that. And especially I want to say this specifically to parents, parents or future parents. Like be careful that you don't apply unnecessary pressure for your kids to get married one day. All right. Now, we might like to say I've been guilty of this. I'll say this like, like I'm praying, you know, for the man or I'm praying for the woman that you will one day marry. That's not a bad thing. Like that's a really good prayer to pray. And we can pray prayers like that. We can even share a prayer like that with our kids. But I like what I heard writer and speaker Jackie Hill Perry say in an interview recently. She said an even better prayer is to tell your kids that I am praying that you will know and live for Jesus above all else in this world. I, I pray that Jesus will be the one that you look to first and foremost for your satisfaction and that if you marry, 
that you will marry a man or a woman that loves Jesus in the very same way that you do. And so if you're single, don't fall into that trap either of believing that marriage is the answer and that getting married will solve all your problems. And if I can, I'd like to suggest that if you feel like you're missing out of something on life, some of it could be that you might be wrongly believing that marriage is the answer to your needs. And I just wonder if that's potentially a little bit of what's going on with Jacob. Like it appears that for him, that, that marriage is the answer. Like Mary, marrying Rachel will become this obsession for him, and that's going to lead to problems. Problems like this one that we all can experience if we're not careful. And that is that when marriage is the answer, like when we make that our driving goal, you and I, we're more likely to compromise. Look at verse 18. We read, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return. He says this to his uncle Laban for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, in this culture, it wasn't uncommon to pay a price for the bride. And so the, the father of the bride would establish the price with things like livestock stock or crops or a time of service. That's what Jacob read. And from what I've read, two to four years was commonplace. Notice how Jacob is willing to pay almost up to four times that amount. Sounds like a pretty romantic story, right? Would make for a great book, a great movie, a great novel. Like it's amazing what we'll do for love. Jenny and I met in a class at Anderson University. I think it was faith development. Uh, they were doing, uh, this professor did all these group projects. Dad, by the way, who likes group projects? But I, I remember the professor, he passed around a sign-up sheet. So you had to sign up for a group, a group of four to work on a project. I was the one of the first to get the sheet. And so I put my name on there. By the time it got to Jenny... She's thinking, what she would say is that she signed up for my group because she knew, well, he's a good student. I don't want to get stuck with the work. We know why, Jen. Like, we, I mean, you saw the picture, right? I mean, like, you know why she signed up for, for my group. I mean, you, you see that picture there. But, that, you know, that's where it started, right? And then there, there were the sparks. And you know, you know how it goes. There were the notes and, you know, the long conversations and, you know, sitting down for coffee if you've been in a relationship before, or maybe this is the way your, your marriage started. There's the pursuit, right? There are good things about it. It's amazing what we'll do for love, sometimes admirable and romantic, other times maybe not so admirable, because if we're not careful, our drive for love can cause us to compromise on some pretty important things in life, like when the young woman the young uh, guy, you know, decides I want to save myself sexually for marriage, but before long the other is pressuring and, and she wants to marry him. He wants to marry her and you don't want to lose him. And so there's the potential of the compromise. Or how about the guy who's dating a woman? She's attractive but not very kind. And he thinks, well, maybe she'll change. And so he compromises or the woman who loves the Lord, and one day she meets a guy, and let's just say that he doesn't value faith the same way that she does, but the clock is ticking, and how many opportunities are left, and so she compromises. When marriage is the answer, when we make that the ultimate goal, you and I will compromise more than we should, and that's not a good starting place in any relationship. But there's something else. When marriage is the answer, it's easy to become very demanding. Jacob worked for seven years to marry Rachel. At the end of seven years, Uncle Laban tried to trick him. He wanted to get more time out of him. He went back on his promise. 
To which Jacob replied, give me my wife. My time is completed and I, wanted to, I want to make love to her. Now, I don't recommend you talk to your future father-in-law uh, that way. Seems like a little more information than he needs to know. But the fact is, well, the truth is there's just a lot going on here. Notice how Jacob's not gentle. Uh, he has his demands and expectations. And if you have ever been or are in a marriage or even a relationship with a demanding person, you know it can be exhausting. You know it can be devastating. It could potentially be dangerous. And that's not a good, that's not a healthy place to be. When, when we make marriage the answer to our greatest needs for love and sac- satisfaction, we can become pretty demanding too to the point that things like intimacy and quality time become like weapons or bargaining chips. All, all of a sudden marriage becomes like this contractual agreement where two parties come together you know and and one or both demand like you will here's what i'll give if you give this is what you owe me this is what i feel like i deserve like if i do my part you better do yours that's not what god had in mind for marriage that's not the picture or the vision or the desire that he has for any of us in god's eyes marriage is this beautiful covenantal relationship between one man and one woman with Jesus Christ at the very center of it all. Not a 50-50 arrangement where I bring a little bit of myself and you better bring a little bit of yours. But no, what he imagines is this 100-100 relationship where my goal is to bring 100% of who I am to the marriage. You know, Jenny does the same. Marriage works best when Jesus is at the center of it all, holding all things together. And anything else, it's easier to get selfish. And demanding. Right now, some of you are married to a very demanding man, and you know how hard that is. Some of you are married to a woman with some unrealistic expectations. She has demands uh, of you that you can't live up to. And isn't it true? It's easy, even in a good marriage, to fall into this I'll do my part, you better do your part. Make no mistake. Can I see some hands? Marriage is hard, right? Will you just, can I, can I just get a vote around the room? All right, we'd, we'd agree. Like marriage is hard. It's, it's tough. Like you take two imperfect people and you ask them to share a closet, okay? And uh, we find out how quickly we bring all of our expectations and hopes, not all bad, into our marriage. It's easy to become demanding. Here's one more thing, and this is really the overriding theme of the message today, and that is that when marriage is the answer, you're never satisfied. We will never be completely satisfied. Like when you and I try and convince ourselves that a a certain marriage or a particular person is the answer to our greatest need, I can promise you that you're always going to come up short when we look for satisfaction in the wrong things. Marriage is this wonderful, beautiful gift from God, but when we make marriage the goal and try and convince ourselves that marriage or your future marriage is all you'll ever need, we're bound to be disappointed. And this could be a little bit of what's happening in Jacob's story. He's thinking, I gotta marry Rachel. I've I've worked, I've done my part, I am now due. And if you know the story, you know that Jacob's got bigger problems on the horizon because back then it was tradition to marry off the older daughter first. And who's the older daughter in the story? It's Leah, the one with the really sweet personality, all right? She's the older daughter. She's the oldest one. Rachel, on the other hand, she's the younger, beautiful one. Without getting into it all, there's finally a wedding between Jacob and Rachel. But let's just say things got a little out of hand at the ceremony with the rum punch or something. Uh, Blame that. But Uncle Laban's going to take advantage of the moment 
and give Leah to Jacob without Jacob realizing it, all said Jacob winds, in this, winds up in this predicament. He's got two wives, Leah and Rachel, who just happen to be sisters, all right? That makes Christmas fun for sure. But I told you it was a long, complicated story because it is a long, complicated story. And it only gets messier from here, which if you read it for yourself, you might find it a bit of relief. Because if you've got a messy story, chances are it's not as messy as this one. But I told you a moment ago as we started reading in Genesis that this really isn't a story about marriage and love and singleness. No, it's actually a story of grace and God's faithfulness. Because do you know what God's going to do in this story? He's going to redeem these mistakes. He's going to heal these wounds. He's going to use all of it. He's going to use the loneliness, the disappointment, the deception. God's going to use it to get Jacob's attention and ultimately his heart. He's going to do the same for Rachel and Leah. He's going to use the mess. He's going to use the mistakes that Jacob made, and he's going to bring good from it. And why? Because that's just how our God is. He's that good. He's that gracious, and he's that faithful. And here's something else. What we learn about God in this story, it makes all the difference for you and me too. It makes a difference whether you're married or single, whether you're messy or acting like you've got it all together. Like God can use the circumstances of your life. He can use the circumstances of your pain, your relationship. He can use the divorce and the waiting and your prayers. And he can take the frustration and the loneliness and the hurt and he can redeem all of it. Here's the bottom line in this story and in this message, whether you're single or married or hoping to be married one day. When it comes to our greatest needs, Jesus is the answer. Jesus Christ is the one, the only one that truly satisfies for us. And I want to take just a moment, I want to say something to those of you that are married. And then I want to say something to those of you that are single. First to those of you that are married, Jesus is what you need in your life. Like Jesus is what your marriage needs. And, and here's the funny thing about that. Like Jesus can't be at the center of your marriage unless he is first at the center of your life. Right? And it takes two people. And Jesus at the center of both to be at the center of a marriage. And so I want to encourage you, if you aren't already, to make Jesus Christ the center of your life. Because when you do that, you put your marriage at an incredible advantage. Like Jesus at the center of my life and your life influences my thinking. All right, when I make this commitment to follow Jesus, for Jesus to lead me, it influences my thinking. It, it influences and impacts the, not only the grace that I receive and experience, but also how I'm able to extend that grace, all right, to others, including my wife. Like Jesus, at the center of my life and your life, is going to influence our actions. He's, he's going to influence the way I love and care for Jenny, the way I serve her, the way that I speak about her. His, his love in me, his grace in me, his patience, like Jesus is awfully patient with me and as I experience that and understand that and realize more and more I'm able to extend that same patience he corrects my thinking his his spirit his holy spirit convicts me uh, of the sin in my life of my wrongs I, I can't promise you that Jesus at the center of your life or your marriage means things go perfectly for you all right because that's not true all right but Jesus at the center of your life 
uh, doesn't guarantee either that he's at the center of your spouse's life, all right? Because that's a choice they have to make. Like, you and I, we can follow Jesus and still mess up. You can follow Jesus and be tough to live with. Like, we all sin. We all fall short. No one is perfect. But when Jesus Christ is at the very center of your life, and you look to him first and foremost for your satisfaction, you seek to model him to your spouse, like, when Jesus is at the center of your spouse's life, and they're looking to Jesus first and foremost for their satisfaction. I'd say the same is da- true in dating. A relationship like that, a marriage like that, is at an incredible advantage. And do you know something else? A marriage with Jesus Christ at the center is an incredible witness and example to this world. I heard, once heard someone say that if Christians could get marriage right, the whole world would look to the church and most importantly to Jesus and say, I want to know more. You have to help me know more. Are you married? Hope to be married one day? I want to challenge you to make serving Jesus and living for Jesus your greatest priority in this world. And if you're in a difficult marriage right now, if you're in a complicated marriage, maybe you're following Jesus and he isn't or she isn't and you're here and they're not here, you keep following Jesus Because one person following Jesus in a marriage is better than no person following Jesus in a marriage. And that doesn't mean you might not need some outside help. There are wonderful counselors, people who love the Lord that can walk with you through anything you've got going on in life. And if you ever need help with that, if you ever need help in taking that next step, I I pray that you'll let us know for sure. But you keep praying, you keep trusting, because God can change any heart. He can change any life. He can change any marriage. He's just that good. And then I'll end with this. I want to just talk to singles for a moment. Again, whether you're single by choice or single and hoping to be married one day, finding the right man, finding the right woman is not the greatest answer to your greatest needs. And there's nothing wrong with desiring love. There's nothing wrong with praying for God to bring someone into your life. Like God can use a marriage or in any marriage, like and a marriage may be a part of God's plan for you, but don't forget this. Like Jesus is our ultimate source for satisfaction. And in the same way that our world needs to see loving marriages with Jesus at the center, our world right now needs to see single men and single women who are leaning on Jesus to meet all of their greatest needs. And so if you're single, you keep living wholeheartedly for Jesus. Uh, if you're single, you keep trusting Jesus for all of your needs. You lean on him for the, for the loneliness that's in your life right now. You ask God to bring people into your life to do life with you, and you keep serving, and you be generous. Don't isolate yourself. Find community with others, married and single people. Find ways of getting more deeply involved with our church family, and don't you dare compromise. Don't settle for less discern the kinds of people and places and activities that you enjoy and you ask and pray and ask yourself each day what do I need to do today to more fully live for and with Jesus pastor and author Pete Scazzaro explains how God can use singleness in your life and in the lives of others who you encounter I love this quote from him he says as a single you bear witness to the sufficiency and fullness of Jesus through your celibacy. You're not giving your body away. You're not hooking up, why? You're married to Christ. Your whole person belongs to him. This serves as the foundation of your life. Your commitment affirms the reality that Jesus is the bread that satisfies, the one who satisfies all of our needs and longings and desires. It was Jesus who said in John chapter six, 
verse 35. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. No matter who you are, whether you're married or single, whether you've put your faith in Christ or not, Jesus offers himself to you. And I don't know where you find yourself in any of this today, but let me just say this as I close. No matter what it is, no matter your story, you aren't what you've done. You aren't your mistakes or what others say about you. You are what God says about you. And when you put your faith and trust in him and experience the power of his redemption, healing, and forgiveness in your life, that changes everything. You belong to him. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're a child of God. And you're a part of his family. Let's pray together. And as we pray, I want to just invite you to stand with me. I want to pray for those of you here today that are married. I want to pray for those of you here today who are single, young or old, school or out of school. Let's pray together. Father, I pray for those in the room right now who are married. And whether they would say we're in a good place, tough place. Those that are newly married, those that have been married for a really long time, Father, we pray ultimately and above else, God, that we as men and women of this church and of your family, that we will ultimately first and foremost find our satisfaction in you, Jesus. You change everything. You change our heart. You change our mind. You influence our actions. You influence the way we see the world. You influence the way we see our spouse and the way that we love, the way that we serve. the way we think, Father. Work this out in each and every life and every marriage here today. Help us to take, help me to take personal responsibility for my actions and my thoughts to serve you and to live for you so that I might better love my wife and better love my family. Father, that my marriage, that our marriages could be another way we share the good news of Jesus Christ with this world. And Father, I pray for those here today that are single, and some that are divorced, waiting, trusting, some that would say I'm struggling. And we have students in the room, we have those that have done a lot of life. Father, we want to find our joy and satisfaction first and foremost so I pray, would you encourage every heart, every mind, ever here today? I pray that we would know and encounter your presence in a really powerful way, that you give us hope, you give us joy, that you give us faith, healing where healing needs to take place. Just the ability to keep trusting. I know there are many here today that are praying. They're praying for you to bring somebody into their life, Lord. We thank you that you are a God that cares enough about the details of our lives that you love prayers like that. And I pray for those that need to be encouraged today, those that need to, just the faith to keep waiting. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Have your way in our lives. We trust you. We want to live for you. And I pray that this church, that Father, our lives would be another way that we help to communicate the good news of Jesus to this world, married or single. Thank you. Thanks for the church family that you've given us, this church family that's growing. We're here to serve you.
help, here to help others find their way back to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.